0: Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
1: Our loving Father God, we thank you for the truth which is transforming our lives. As we study your word now, we ask In the words of this passage, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of you and please you in every way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You're going on a trip and you've been told that all you need to bring with you is yourself, and your ticket. So you show up on the day, ticket in hand. You're a bit eager, can't wait. Slowly, more and more people arrive, but they've got more stuff than you. They've got those massive rucksacks that people take on Duke of Edinburgh. You know those sorts, and they're almost as big as the as big as the person. They've got those special walking boots. They've got those funny poles that people like when they go for a walk. And there's you with your ticket. Am I missing something, you think? Was there some letter that was sent out that I didn't get? You start chatting with people and they are using all kinds of jargon that you've never even heard before. Everybody else seems to be in the know except you. They mention the training weekend that you were noticeably absent for. No, there was a training weekend, you say. Oh dear, oh dear, you're not getting off to a very good start, are you? Other people have had experiences that you've never had. They know things you don't know. They do things you don't do, and they certainly don't do some of the things you do. They've got so much more gear than you have, and they're baffled that you don't. And then somebody finally just comes out and says, have you literally just brought your tickets?" I was told that was all I needed but you're not so sure now. Maybe you do need something more. Maybe you should just go home. Well, I hope you haven't had an experience like that and that you certainly won't have one like that here tonight. But something similar to that was going on for a group of Christians in a city called Colossi. Colossae is in what's now Turkey, about 100 miles inland from the Med. And there were a group of people trusting in Jesus, getting on great. But there were other people who seemed to have more. They didn't just trust in Jesus. They also had very impressive spiritual experiences, really spiritual stuff on another level. These other people seemed more religious as well. They were very respectable doing religious activities, things these Christians didn't realise we were meant to. I didn't know we were supposed to do that. I thought we just needed to trust in Jesus. These other people were incredibly disciplined, quite strict with themselves sometimes, made everybody else look positively lazy and slack with how seriously they took everything. And bit by bit, it was making the Colossian Christians feel second-rate, feel judged, feel disqualified, feel looked down upon, like they were missing out. I wonder if you can relate to that. Well, this letter was written to encourage them and us that Christ is all you need. That if you are trusting in Christ, then you are not missing out. There are no more rules or rituals or experiences or knowledge that you need. If you have Christ, then you've got everything that you need. As the first verse of this passage tells us, it was written by the Apostle Paul and it was written to this church in Colossae that Paul had never been to. But he'd heard about them and had been praying for them. And this passage we're looking at, this first chunk of chapter 1, we're listening in on Paul's prayers for them, for this church that he's never visited, he's just heard about. In verses 3 to 8, it's a thank you prayer. And in verses 9 to 14, it's a please prayer as he's asking God for the things that they need. And in both of these sections, he's wanting to encourage them that they have Christ and that Christ is all they need. I hope we pick up the same thing too. So first off, uh, verses 3 to 8, we thank God you're real Christians. We thank God, you're real Christians. What an encouraging thing for them to hear. You guys are real Christians, and we are so thankful to God for that. In verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That's a good start, isn't it? To say it's not whenever we pray for you, go, Lord, (laughs) please help them. No, whenever we pray for you, we are so thankful for you. And in particular, He's really thankful that they are real Christians. Or to put it another way, that the truth about Christ is bearing fruit in their lives. The truth about Christ is bearing fruit in their lives. So let's have a look. Verse 3 to 5, we see what he's thankful for. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And of the love you have for all God's people. Where do those come from? The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And Where's that come from? About which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. So we'll go over in detail what he's saying. But can you get the gist of it? That we've heard your life is characterized by faith, love, and hope. And those are things that come out of the gospel. So we're, we're really thankful that the gospel, the truth about Christ, is bearing fruit in your life. He goes on in verse 6: In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So the good news of Jesus is bearing fruit and growing, it's spreading as more and more people believe it and it's blossoming to life as people are transformed by it to show love and faith and hope. We should be getting the picture from this that the gospel is really powerful, it's living, it's growing like a flourishing plant and we're so thankful this is happening among you Colossians, says Paul. We thank God that you're real Christians. Are you thankful for the real Christians that you know? Those sat around you. We are thankful for you, just as Paul was thankful for them. But how did they become Christians? Was it by doing good things? Was it by rigorous discipline or religious activities? No. What has changed their lives is something which, verse 5, You have already heard in the true message of the gospel that's come to you. So what is it that's impacted their life? Well, they heard a true message. And that has changed everything. When was the moment that all this fruit started bursting to life in their lives? When did everything change? Well, end of verse 6. as it's been growing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You get that again? The, The life, the fruit, the change all happened when you understood the gospel, the news about God's grace, his kindness to us that we don't deserve. Their lives changed when they understood this news about grace. They learned it, verse 7. Becoming a real Christian begins with hearing, understanding, learning the truth of some news. It's not by doing anything. It's believing a message. Jesus Christ has done everything that needs to be done to rescue people like us. Because of Christ, God is gracious to sinners He died and rose again so everyone who trusts in him can be forgiven. That is the truth about Christ. It's a message that we hear, understand and learn. And when we do that, it just grows and bears fruit in our lives. Which is why we put such a focus on preaching and on evangelism, spreading the news to people who don't yet know it. Because lives get changed when the gospel is heard and believed. There are a lot of knockoff fake products you can buy, aren't there, out there? Imagine you've just bought something that's meant to be by a very expensive make. Maybe it's kind of Gucci handbag, if that's your thing, or some kind of official sportswear, or whatever it is. But it's meant to be very, very expensive. Someone then makes a comment about it. And you're not so sure now. (laughs) You sure you've got the real one? You sure about that? One way you might work out whether it's real is when somebody says, where did you get it from? If you say, oh, some bloke in the car park, it's probably fake, isn't it? But if you said, no, I got it at the proper official shop, well, then you can rest assured what you've got is real. And that's really what Paul's doing, something similar to that, by saying of the gospel... Where did you get it from? Well, you got it from somebody reliable. Well, that's good. You can trust it. The thing you've got is the real thing. Verse 7, Paul's drawing their attention to the person who first told them about Jesus, who's a guy called Epaphras. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. We know a few things about Epaphras. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 12, calls him one of you. So he's originally from Colossae. And uh, elsewhere as well, we hear about him. Philemon and Colossians were written and delivered about the same time. And uh, Philemon, verse 23, calls him Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So, Paul and Epaphras are cellmates. They've both been arrested for preaching about Jesus. And as they're talking in prison, there's plenty of time to chat in prison. Uh Epaphras is telling Paul all about his church back home, and that's what makes Paul write this letter. The gist is that Paul knows Epaphras really well. They've spent a lot of time together. He knows what he's like. He knows what he believes, and he wants the Colossians to know Epaphras is one of the goodies. Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ, as it says here, which is really important. Imagine the people who are making the Colossians feel a bit second-rate, they might go, where did you get that gospel from? I mean, how can you be sure that you've got the real thing? I heard Epaphras is in prison. You don't want to go around believing things criminals say, do you? But Paul says, no, he vouches for him. He says, you've got this gospel, this true message, from a good guy who's a faithful minister. And Paul's saying this, As an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, verse 1. So he's saying, I've been specifically sent by Jesus to preach the gospel. And I'm telling you, Epaphras can be trusted. He is a faithful minister. If you're posting a letter, you want the royal mail to be faithful ministers. A minister is a servant. And a faithful servant is someone who just does the job that you ask them to do. So you say, here is my letter, Mr. Postman. Please would you not mess about with it or change it or take anything out of the envelope or stuff anything else in the envelope? You've got the address. Here is the envelope. Go and deliver that intact. Deliver it faithfully. And Paul is saying that's what Epaphras has done for you. He has been given the gospel and he has faithfully handed it on. You learned the gospel from someone you can trust. So whatever the super spiritual mega Christians might say, there is not some extra knowledge that you need to know. All you need is what you have already heard, verse 5. It has been faithfully handed on to you. You have heard everything you need to know in the gospel. This is not some secret message just for the few This is the publicly available truth that's been spreading throughout the whole world, verse 6. It's a true message, verse 5. You've truly understood it, verse 6. He's really piling it on. What an encouragement to say you really have heard the real gospel. We're thankful that you're real Christians. Have you truly understood the true message? The good news about God's grace in Christ. If you have, be really, really encouraged. We might not, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, we may not be the cleverest people in the world, but the newest, babyest, least mature Christian who knows the gospel knows everything they need to know. But how does Paul know they know it? Sure enough, okay, you've heard it. We heard this morning about hearing is supposed to actually mean it makes a difference. (laughs) You've heard the real gospel, but are you real Christians? Well, he's confident that they are because he's heard about their life, about their faith, their love, their hope. Faith, hope, and love are a trio that go together a lot in the Bible, and it's shorthand for the marks of a real Christian. So we're going to look at those uh, here, and as we do, check for them, in your own life? First verse 4, there's faith. We've heard about your faith, specifically faith in Christ Jesus. So this isn't just a vague I believe in God, this is I trust in Jesus. Faith has content to it. The truth about Christ is something they know and believe and are actively relying on. They've got Second, there's love. And again, it's not just an airy-fairy kind of peace and love man kind of feeling. It is the love you have for all God's people. The bond that you have with other Christians. More than just affection, although that's implied, it's love in action that you can see. Verse 8 says, Epaphras has filled Paul in on their love in the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives Causing them to really love people, most especially other Christians. They've got love, the kind of love that someone could see and report on. And thirdly, they have hope. And again, it's more than just a positive feeling. This is the hope stored up for you in heaven. All the good things waiting for us in the future, guaranteed by Christ. Most of the time when people use the word hope, What they mean is wishful thinking. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope my team wins the league. No, sorry guys. Sorry, Liverpool fans, I'm afraid. Sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. But it's hope as in wishful thinking. But in the Bible, hope is stuff that will definitely happen in the future. It will definitely happen. And from that springs faith and love. Knowing the certainty of our hope grows our faith in Christ because he is the one who secures it for us. Knowing the certainty of our hope grows our love for other Christians because they're the people we're going to share it with. Faith, hope and love are marks of a real Christian and all of those come from the true message of the gospel. Again, do you hear what this is saying? Christ is all you need, you have the message about Jesus and it is changing your life. The truth about Christ is bearing fruit. Praise God for that. We thank God you're real Christians. How about you? Could the same be said of you? Did somebody faithfully explain the gospel to you? Have you understood it? Taken it on board? Well then be encouraged. Is that message you've heard now bearing fruit? So if somebody looked at your life, would they see faith, love, and hope? Not absolute perfection, not all of those qualities as much as you'd like, but are they there? Have I got faith in Jesus? Am I trusting in him? Or am I relying on myself and my religious performance to sort me out? Do I have love for other Christians? Not perfectly, no, but are they my family now? Are they people I'm actively serving, caring for? Or am I still basically my own person doing my own thing, looking down on other people? Have I got hope for the future? Is heaven where my heart is set, what I'm most looking forward to? Or am I just so caught up in the here and now and what things look like in the meantime? This isn't about being perfect, but about whether faith, hope, and love are present. Whether it's a tiny little berry or a big juicy apple, fruit on the branches shows that a tree is alive. And in the same way, we know we're real Christians when the gospel is bearing fruit within us of faith, hope, and love. And if it is, then we can be described like they're described in verse 2. God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Obviously, we're not in Colossae, um, we're in Shropshire, but we are the saints, the holy people in Wem, in Christ. They are in Colossae, in Christ, we're in Wem, in Christ. Because of the gospel, we're united to Jesus who is everything we need. We thank God so much that you are real Christians. That ought to be something we thank God for, for one another and for ourselves as well, that the gospel, the truth about Christ, is bearing fruit. But in saying that they are real Christians, he's not discouraging further growth. He's not going, well, you've got it all. Christ is all you need, so just rest on your laurels. There's no need to keep pressing on. No, far from it. His second prayer, our second point is, we pray you will grow. We pray that you will grow. Verses 9 to 14 are jam-packed with this prayer for the Colossians so that they grow. And it all flows out of what he's already said in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you the reason he's praying is because they are real Christians and he can confidently pray that they'd continue and flourish and grow. Just like in the first half, all the growth is going to come from the gospel. So if the first bit was giving thanks that the truth about Christ is bearing fruit, this bit is praying that the truth about Christ will bear fruit. Spot the logic from uh, verse 9 into verse 10. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that's the truth stuff, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, etc., etc. He's praying that the truth would bear even more fruit, in their lives we pray that you'd grow but if you were one of the false teachers and one of the super spiritual types coming in you might go yes we like this filled with all the knowledge and wisdom from the spirit that sounds fantastic come to us and we will fill you with all the extra stuff you need to know and then you'll really grow but this is a complete smackdown on that way of thinking. He's, he's making it sound like he's talking like the false teachers. He's kind of using all their buzzwords of fullness and completeness and wisdom and knowledge. But he's using it against them. Skip ahead for a second to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He's explaining why he's working so hard preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we see here, when he's saying, we pray that you'd be filled with all wisdom and knowledge, he's not saying extra stuff you don't already know. He means the truth about Christ. Knowing the gospel, in a sense, means you have complete understanding. You understand everything you need to understand. So he's praying that God would fill you with that, that you would dig deeper into Christ, that you discover more of the riches you already have in him. Because when we do that, we grow. When we're filled with the truth about Christ, we live lives worthy of Christ. You think, oh, I could never be worthy of Christ. We think, well, no, if, if by that you mean earning it. But it is possible to live a life that is appropriate, that is worthy of the things that he has done, that's possible to please him by bearing fruit. Faith, hope, love. God loves to see that in us, even the tiniest little bits. And more of that fruit will come as we're filled with gospel truth in fact the whole thing gets better and better the argument here is brilliantly circular so if you see being filled with knowledge is going to make you grow including end of verse 10 growing in the knowledge of God <laughs> so knowledge of God leads to fruit which leads to knowledge which leads to fruit which leads to knowledge which leads to fruit which leads to knowledge it just keeps going around doesn't it we're going to be filled with the knowledge of Christ which is going to help you grow in the knowledge of Christ which is going to help you grow in the knowledge of Christ. It's keeping on getting better and better. This is why we put, again, such a focus on Bible teaching. And within that Bible teaching, why the focus is on Christ. Because that is how you grow. The truth about Christ will bear fruit. So I hope you come to church expecting to grow. I hope you approach reading the Bible on your own or doing Bible studies in your home group eager and ready to bear fruit because that is what happens other people have impressive rituals they've got mystical experiences and all that kind of stuff poor old us we've just got a sermon no don't fall for that nonsense as we delve into the scriptures as we filled more and more with the truth about christ it is life-changing We might not feel it in the moment, but bit by bit we are being grown by God into something wonderful. Those false teachers would have talked a lot about power. There's ordinary Christians and then there's us, mega super powerful Christians. Well, again, Paul turns all that on his head. Listen to all the superlatives in this. All, all and every. He's asking they be filled with all wisdom, so they please God in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. You know, wow, what's that look like, to be filled with God's power? I'm you know, you be ripping phone books in half, maybe, or, or just miracles every five minutes. Or God's glorious might empowering us looks like great endurance and patience. You don't have to be a bodybuilder or a miracle worker. The almighty muscle of God looks like sticking with it, carrying on, not being thrown off course by what other people say, but patiently trusting in Christ. Now we might think of endurance as a kind of just gritting your teeth, hard slog, and it can be very tough. But it is also full, in verse 12, of giving joyful thanks to the Father. We say thank you when we're pleased with what we've been given, don't we? I mean, that's a fairly basic definition. An amazing present you've wanted for ages. I know it's birthdays today, isn't it? A delicious dinner you've been smelling for a while and you're very very ready for. Thank you. People who always want more are not thankful people. They might begrudgingly mutter thanks. But there's no joy those in Christ have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. And if we're really thankful for what we have in Christ, we won't be tempted to look anywhere else. Next week, Paul really gets going describing the richness of what we have in Jesus. But we get a little taster here in verses 12 to 14. Let this truth about Christ whet your appetites. Why should I give thanks? Well, we're giving joyful thanks to the Father Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's just fantastic. At one time, we were not part of God's people, we were not in his family. And if you're not in the family, you don't get any inheritance, you don't qualify for that privilege. But thanks to Jesus, the Father has qualified you so that you do share the inheritance. Isn't that brilliant? It is all stored up for you in heaven. There is nothing else you need to do to get it. We even get to enjoy much of it while we patiently wait. Now, today was the last day of the Premier League. I can't promise that means it's the end of football illustrations, but we'll see how it goes. There was a lot of focus today on who's going to qualify for various things. Again, commiserations to various people. Uh, Five nil spurs. Anyway, no, but there's lots about qualifying for things. Take heart whether you care about football, whether it's been a good day or a bad day, because you have been qualified for the most important thing. You did not need to win. You did not need to do anything yourself because he has qualified you he has done it it is now on your account and you are now qualified to be part of God's people and to have that hope stored up for you in heaven absolutely certain waiting for you at one time we were imprisoned in the dark kingdom of sin we lived in rebellion against God But far from making us free like we thought it would, it was like being locked up in a miserable dungeon. But in Christ, you have been rescued. We have been brought out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It is in him that we have redemption. That is a price paid to set us free. Jesus has paid the price on the cross with his own blood so that we can be free. It's in Christ that we have the forgiveness of sins. Everything we've done wrong, dealt with, wiped away, relationship restored. He's just, again, layering up picture after picture of how wonderful it is what Christ is has done for us we've been qualified we share the inheritance we've been rescued out of darkness into light redeemed forgiven why would we look anywhere else why would we even think that we need anything more than what we have in Christ it is when we dwell on this beautiful truth about Christ that we're filled with joyful thanks that our hope Grows, that our faith deepens, that our love blooms. We pray that you will grow. We pray that your life would increasingly be filled with goodness, that it would be a life pleasing to Christ. Isn't that your prayer for yourself, for other believers? Let's make that our prayer that we would grow as we dwell on the truth about Christ. Let's make that our prayer alongside prayers of thanks for being real Christians and that others are real Christians. Not through our own doing, but the truth about Christ bearing fruit. Remember that trip you're on and all you need is your ticket. We can ignore those other people saying, you're not qualified to come. Excuse me, I've been qualified, thank you very much. We can tune out the people saying that you need more because I have it all. To become a Christian, to grow as a Christian, Christ really is all we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth about Christ, his grace, redemption, forgiveness, rescue. And we thank you that that truth about Christ is, is bearing fruit in our lives. We pray, please, would it keep bearing fruit as we appreciate more and more what we have in him. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.